Why am I willing to make a large purchase for an airplane ticket online? And I don't think twice about it. Um, why will I buy a pair of jeans um, off of Amazon and not think twice about it? And it's because, and it could be the same price as insurance, if not more. <laughs> Some jeans can be really pricey, women's jeans. But the point is... You're tuning in to the InsureBreak podcast. It's the podcast about the latest and greatest trends in insurance. I'm your host, Ash, and I invite you to join us as we interview experts and executives in insurance, covering innovative practices, technology advancements, and insight into the future of insurance. This podcast is sponsored by Zelros. Zelros is an AI software solution for insurance to hyper-personalize the customer buying experience. With insurance recommendations across all channels, boosting client acquisitions, cross-sell and upsell. In this episode, we sit down with Laura Drabic and discuss how insurtech startups changed the way traditional insurers operate, how data is being used to improve underwriting and claims processes, and what some of the challenges traditional insurers are facing to fully integrate insurtech solutions into their operations. Make sure to stick around until the end to hear about which insurtech solutions are helping insurers reach new customers and expand their offerings. She is a globally recognized property and casualty insurance thought leader, TED Talk presenter, subject matter expert, and most importantly, chief evangelist at Guidewire Software. We are joined today by Laura Drabic. Laura, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. To begin, can you maybe give us some insight into your background, uh, You know how you got started in insurance? I actually started my career many years ago working for the largest insurance company in the world, both on the claims and then on the agency side of the business. Uh, Ash, after uh, a few years of gaining some boots on the ground experience in the insurance industry, I then transitioned into working as a consultant for a couple of very large firms and then have spent the last couple of decades working in the insurance software industry specifically. What was your first role in insurance? My first role in insurance was working as an adjuster. And you know what, Ash? I wouldn't trade it for the world. It provided me with so much experience and insight that I still leverage today, how to read people, how to listen, how to investigate, all very helpful traits in current positions. What is your current role and responsibilities now? Before I mention what I do now, allow me a moment to outline how I actually started. So I joined Guidewire as one of the early employees working in sales uh, when we were pre-IPO with less than 10 customers and one solution, which was Claim Center. Uh, now we have over 500 customers. We've expanded into policy and billing, and we also offer digital and data solutions. So now that you know that, my current role as chief evangelist will probably make more sense. So externally, I serve as the brand ambassador evangelizing our story, our journey, industry innovation themes that I see within the market. And I also serve as the hub for industry intelligence and direction. And one thing that um, I'm particularly interested in that's part of my responsibilities is that I launch and lead our InsureTech incubator, which is called the InsureTech Vanguards. What kind of companies are you investing in? I'm obviously, obviously InsureTech, but I mean, like, is there more specific than that or? We are interested in early stage InsureTech startups. 
Um, one of the requirements is we're looking at those startups that would help to evolve um, the functionality that we offer integrating to our core. And then the second element is they can't compete with our core. And then our goal is to actually incubate them into full-fledged partners and integrations to um, our insurance suite platform. Very cool. Yeah, it sounds very exciting. I mean, probably one of your something that you enjoy doing, I, I assume. I absolutely do. And and the reason why I think is it's exciting. It's entrepreneurial working with these um, startup, the startup leaders. But also because I started in insurance, it's fun to think about how uh, the early days of Laura could have been helped, uh, boots on the ground working in either claims or agency or working with our policyholders. It's just really exciting to see how the industry has evolved in general through them. Yeah. So, so in your opinion, then how have insure tech startups changed the way that traditional insurers operate and um, what advantages do they bring to the industry? Let me back up a moment and then I promise you I'll address this uh I'll address this question. Yeah. So during the first quarter of 2022, InsureTech clocked the highest the highest participation in early stage capital investment ever recorded. And it's easy to see why. Uh there are advances in artificial intelligence, mobility, data analytics and and other technologies really helped to transform our industry. InsureTechs don't just change our industry though. I think they really help carriers to evolve it. So in the early days, Ash, insurers used to see InsureTechs as competitors, um, but things have changed, thankfully. Now InsureTechs bring different innovation, ideas, perspectives to the tables. They bring different ways of working and entrepreneurial spirit. And they really allow carriers to offer new services that empower consumers or digitize payments um, and more, which in the end really helps the policyholder. So when you combine that with what insurers offer, which is regulatory expertise, industry, deep dive knowledge, historical, experiential data, and reliability and, and, and a foundation to the customer lifecycle, the two of these together, they create just incredible whole new uh, value propositions. So now instead of co competition, it's really about collaboration. Um, and I, I think that the two main benefits is that to the policyholder is they're getting improved service because of this partnership. They're getting omni-channel experience and personalized products, rates and coverages and fresh new products that better suit the needs of our industry and our consumer today. And then on the, on the flip side of that, the carrier benefits through collaboration um, by looking or becoming like their innovation leaders. And then I'll leave it with this. And this is something I looked up yesterday. I was writing a blog on how um, one can use, insurers can use or leverage the InsurTech vanguards. And there's the stat from Accenture and it calls out that the revenue gap between innovation leaders and laggards in the PNC sector could top 37% by the end of this year. So as much as 200 billion in revenue will be driven by new risks, products and services between now and 2025. So insurers, it's insurers can capitalize on this. Um, and then of course the policyholder benefits from what they create. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, by the way, we were talking to, um, Tiffany from Nationwide uh, on our last podcast, and they say that sometimes they develop technology in-house. And I'm just curious, are you seeing insurers like try to develop technology in-house or are they 
collaborating more with insurtech companies, insurtech focused companies, or what's that like? I see both. It's an and. Um, so a lot of insurance carriers in the early days started these uh, innovation garages, if you will. So mimicking like the HP approach of the, the early days of HP. Um, but yeah. there are so many brilliant ideas out there and fresh young minds that are seeing tech and insurance differently. I see it now as more of a collaboration, but I think it's both. Um, but what I am seeing a trend with is the carriers, especially the large ones, bringing those innovators in-house. So bringing some of those insure techs in-house and experimenting with them. But again, it's a both, uh, which is positive because that means it's it's collaborative. Speaking of uh, articles, Dravic Digest, your uh, your blog. Um, you mentioned in one of your articles that one key advantage of the InsurTech ecosystem is the ability to access and leverage new data sources. Could you expand on how this data is being used to improve underwriting and claims processes and uh, I mean, what kind of impact that's having on the industry? I think everyone probably listening to this will understand and, and agree with the statement that ecosystems are foundational today's most innovative operating models and more importantly, tomorrow's. So take it, for example, usage-based pay-as-you-drive auto coverage or motor coverage, depending upon which part of the globe you're located, uh, it's predicated on ecosystems. It doesn't work without an ecosystem. And that ecosystem spans telematics, mobile connectivity, automobile, automobile or smartphone manufacturers, and more. All of these partners working together and tied into, hopefully, an insurer's core system like Guidewire. So for this model to work, Ash, it requires these new forms of data from these integration points that I just mentioned. So all of this data input, it allows the insurer, most importantly, to personalize their pricing, their underwriting to fit, to fit every single risk. And in addition to that, it also helps them to improve their claim servicing because this data can be used not only to automatically trigger a claim, or alert emergency services, et cetera. All of this data can be used to automate and then um, move a claim along in a very personalized uh, way, including, like I said, scheduling services, creating accurate reserves. Um, I mean, that's really important. Auditory bodies make sure the carriers are uh, creating these accurately. And then even automating claims payout. But, but the, this is a result of these new data sources coming in from these new uh, new data entry areas, and in particular, IoT. Yeah, and then, and also like, you know, people are more willing to share data, personal data to, sh to save on insurance. I'm talking about underwriting, save on insurance. You know, like, for example, my, my dad is not as willing to sh share maybe information as I am, you know, newer generation. So... I feel like also like people are just more willing to share data and information to save on insurance. I, I couldn't agree more, Ash. And, and in fact, we just ran a survey um, in EMEA and the result of that showed that a significant, like in the 60s percentile of consumers that we interviewed said they would share data with an insurer if it meant, if or, or if it resulted in personalized pricing. So I think you're spot on. Insurers are still struggling to fully integrate insurtech solutions into their operations. What are some of the challenges facing traditional insurers and what steps can they take to overcome them and remain competitive um, in a rapidly changing environment? 
So believe it or not, we actually hear this a lot and it is why, or it's the inspiration for our, our partner connect and our insure tech vanguards programs, both of them. So, and again, vanguards is our early staging incubator, which feeds the partner connect program. But what our, our customers tell us, which is the carriers is they're looking for help with understanding um, the insure tech landscape and also vetting it and curating it. So that is our goal with, with developing both of these, these programs. So in both programs, we curate, we vet, we search out industry leaders like Zalros, of course, which is one of our valued partners. Um, and also for our Partner Connect program, they're responsible for building out integrations to our core insurance suite solution. So the carrier, our customer can turn on and off these new value props to extend the service they provide their policyholders or, or just innovate on, on what they're already delivering. So again, we hear this problem a lot. We see it as an opportunity. It's why we developed these two programs, instant or near instant on off of these in, insure tech value propositions to extend the life, life cycle. Um, and these pre-built integrations, I should add, they dramatically reduce the time to market for getting these value props from insurance um, carriers' minds or ideation to actually in the field to their consumers. And I mean, this is kind of a tangent question, but I'm just curious. Do you feel like, you know, the macroeconomics, uh, the general, how the economy is doing, does that have an impact too on like how insurers' mindsets, how they decide to spend their money and whatnot? Yeah, without a doubt. And there's two sides of that coin, right? It's how it's affecting the insure text, which I don't think I need to explain there. It's been pretty obvious with some exit and some mergers and then the reduction in investments. And then there's the flip side of that with the carriers. Ash, I um, run these innovation sessions at headquarters and the most frequently requested session with me, I've, I've never seen numbers like this before, is carriers coming from around the globe to hear about our InsureTech vanguards to see where they can put investment dollars. Because right now their dollar goes farther with InsureTech investment. So we see carriers that um, are, are taking this as an opportunity, the, uh, the economy as, as an opportunity and looking at where they can invest in InsureTech. As more and more consumers turn to online marketplaces for their insurance needs, uh, how is the InsureTech industry responding to the shift in consumer behavior? And are there any particular insure tech solutions or technologies that are especially well suited to the marketplace model? And uh, how are they helping insurers to reach new customers and expand their offerings? So with regards to um, online marketplaces for insurance needs, and, and specifically, I was looking at, um, you know, quoting and buying as a consumer, whether it's personal or commercial online. And I think there's something important here to call out, and that, and this this stat hasn't changed in probably five years, and that is 70% of consumers they're going to go on and get a quote online or to a marketplace, but less than 30% are actually going to purchase online. And in over the last three years, online issuance hasn't increased that much. In fact, it was 25% three years ago. It's now at 30%. And I think what's key here is the following. So rather than calling out company names, I'm going to talk a little bit about value props that resonate and then com companies that fall into that, I think, are really well suited. And that is omni-channel service options is essential. And that means that a policyholder 
they're going to start their journey potentially online, but they have to be able to conveniently, conveniently, excuse me, switch to an advisor, a human, um, maybe even a chat bot, but uh, definitely there has to be the human option. And that's important or what's important here is that the information that's collected either via the digital web front end or via the chatbot, it has to be available to the human advisor to pick up and fulfill the transaction. A policyholder will not tolerate, not today's policyholder, having to repeat information already collected. And a really good example of this, of course, consumer scalable example is Amazon. You you can start on the phone, you can transition over the web and you can go to the human and they always have the most up-to-date information on you and on your shopping cart. So that's number one, that's key. And number two is personalization. Consumers expect personalization as a standard feature in every single industry. Um, And again, um, I was writing um, a blog, a different blog, and I came across this metric from McKinsey a week ago. But um, organizations that provide best-in-class personalization can see increases of 25% in revenue. So, I mean, it makes financial sense to do it. But what's important here for personalization and I'm sure you'll agree, is data and analytics to create a very tailored policy and coverage flow or journey, um, depending upon who the consumer is. And again, Zelros is an excellent example of a value prop that delivers personalization via the recommendation engine. And then the third thing I want to highlight in the final is integration to a modern insurance platform is key. Okay, clearly I'm biased here, but um, I worked in the industry and now I work for a modern core solution. And it's imperative that carriers have uh, one objective source of the truth for the product, for the customer, for the rates, so that the carrier can trust at all times that they have the freshest, highest quality data to run analysis on. So anyway, it's those three things that I think are absolutely key to your question. And any value props of insure techs that fall into those three, I think will do very well in our market. And do you think that, you know, people don't pull the trigger necessarily online or on online marketplaces because it's just human nature? Like you need somebody there or like, do you feel like there will be a time where people will pull the trigger? Like that number will be closer to 70, 80%. Just out of curiosity, what you, how you feel about that? I think about it this way, and that is, I why am I willing to make a large purchase for an airplane ticket online? And I don't think twice about it. Um, why will I buy a pair of jeans um, off of Amazon and not think twice about it? And it's because, and it could be the same price as insurance, if not more. <laughs> Some jeans can be really pricey, women's jeans. But the point is, I trust that this brand, Amazon, I trust that this brand, United Airlines, which is what I use, has my best interest in that um, I trust that they will refund if, if I'm not happy with the product that I've purchased, that they have security in place that that will um, protect me when I'm using a credit card or my online payment uh, form. But I have faith in them and in their technology. So I think when insurance carriers get there, um, I think that 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 will increase the numbers. But also number two, and it could be even number one, 
But number two is insurance is complex. Like I've worked in the industry for over 20 years and I still don't buy my complex products online. I'll buy a warranty online. I'll buy renter's insurance online, but I will not buy life insurance because because I have something really valuable to lose. And there are so many complexities to it that I might start my search online, but I would always want to be able to end with a human because I have something really important to lose. So just when we get one and two figured out for insurance, make it more digestible products, make it easier to understand. Uh, there's more visibility into what's happening behind the scenes. I think you will see numbers increase. Yeah, but there's always going to be that, you know, like you said, the the life insurance and the, the things that are like, you know, you have to pay a lot for. And that's kind of like very personal that you're always going to need a human there. You hit hearing. on it, Ash, which is the personalization. It, it yeah. And really what per, the human provides is that personalized journey for the end consumer. And for certain products, it, it is really essential. Unless we break them down, the carrier breaks them down into something that's really digestible, um, visible, easy to understand. Very cool. Okay. Um, so our uh, next topic is DEI. Um, we always ask each speaker about diversity, equity, and inclusion. What are your thoughts on DEI and tech? And maybe if you have a personal story to share, that would be great. Yeah. And I think I'm I think it's a positive that this question is even being asked in your podcast. So first of all, thank you for asking about it. And secondly, it highlights how important this issue is in every single industry, including insurance. So I'm going to let oh, our audience into a little secret, which is I started insurance over 20 years ago. And in fact, there might be three decades in there. Um, and when I started, believe it or not, it wasn't very diverse. It was very homogenous. It was a sea of sameness. Um, I'm very happy. I'm over the moon to see that it has changed significantly, in particular over the last five years. And I think it has everything to do with carriers actively implementing and supporting DEI programs. Because, Ash, this is so important, this statement, is that insurance is for everyone. It's not just for a homogenous group of people. So we need diversity in insurance uh, to build better insurance products that are better suited for the new consumer uh, so that adjusters can handle claims more empathetically and personalized to a diverse claimant, as well as provide in general more personalized service throughout the entire insurance life cycle. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, regardless of the gender or, you know, the um, where you come from or like you said, everybody needs insurance. Like, you know, most people in the U.S. drive cars and, you know, a lot of people get life insurance still and we all need medical insurance. So it's like every human being needs insurance and we're all, all diverse. So it'd be great to have a diverse group of people to cater to that or to like be in an industry where they're helping a diverse group of people. So that makes a lot of sense. Talk to me about uh, Girls in Tech. Uh, I know you're a board member there. Could you tell us more about the work uh, that the organization does and maybe what you do to promote gender uh, equality in the industry? The mandate of this global nonprofit is to increase diversity in tech. Although we have the name girls, the word girls in tech, it's actually targeted at women that are 20 to 40. So anyone can join, um, even those above 40. 
Um, it's not just about getting more women, though, in tech roles I want to highlight. It's really about getting more diversity or diverse women into tech roles. And to accomplish this, if you go to the website, you can see we run all these different programs. So we do it through education. Education for the members. We have hackathons for social good. Um, we focus on things like breast cancer, et cetera, things that are really important to women. And then we hack on them. We have masterclass sessions, which are experts trained by experts, uh, leading experts in certain subject matters. We have mentoring programs. And then also on the flip side of that for companies, we have job boards and we have the girls in tech conference, which is it's I, across the globe, people will come to the Girls in Tech Conference. We have thousands of people that typically attend, men and women, and it gives companies visibility to a diverse set of women, uh, a, a diverse set of women uh, to to hire or potentially employ. It's so inspiring to hear that you're doing this kind of work, and it's uh, part of your extracurricular. I'm assuming. But by the way, how do you how do you measure the impact of these programs? Um, is it like how many jobs you're placing or uh, how do you measure that? Yeah. And that's something that we do struggle with because it's, you're right. Ultimately it should be how many women are joining the tech industry in the countries where we have chapters. So we have 30, I think it's 38 different chapters across the world. So we do look at, are we affecting any of those metrics? But if you actually bring it down to more of a granular level where we can see impact is we look at things like um, how many sponsoring companies we have. So we have Nike, uh, we have Pega, we have Guidewire sponsoring us. So every year we look to see if we can grow grow the sponsoring company. So that's that's one of our metrics. We also uh, try to understand which programs are resonating and are being consumed by how many of our uh, women that are accessing them. And then we use it to refine our approach in the future. And then also our job boards. And are they leading to hiring opportunities? So that's something where we really have to rely upon the sponsoring company to, to feed us back those metrics. But I think those are the three elements that we look at. But overall, Ash, you hit it on the head, which is it's how many women are joining the tech industry. So the final question is, if you could go back 20 years, what advice would you give your younger self? I think I have three pieces of information that I would give myself or recommendations. It would be number one, get a mentor. Um, doesn't matter if it's female or male. Find someone who knows you and is in a position that can help guide you where you want to go in your career. So number one, get a mentor. Number two, find your voice. Too often um, when I was younger, I would actually give my ideas to a male counterpart or to my boss and have them represent the ideas. And it wasn't until um, my boss at Guidewire, Steve Sherry, he said, Laura, that's it. You're representing your own ideas from this point forward. Have faith. So number two, find your voice. And number three, sit at the table. Too often there's that outer ring. It's like the Kuiper belt. When you, you walk into a conference room, you got the sun in the middle, which is the conference table. And then there's, you know, the, the Kuiper belt circling around um, our solar system. And that's where a lot of our women sit. 
And I get that because you might not be confident and it provides a barrier and, and, and some type of um, protection, if you will, from that inner core. But the thing is, if you want to be heard and you want to be able to say important things and share your ideas, you need to sit at the table. Yeah. And it's also on, you know, allies uh, to, you know, create a space to make people comfortable to um, help with those things that you said. So I feel like people like yourself who are actively trying to get people involved, uh, making a comfortable space for people to be able to kind of step into that circle, if you will. That's an excellent Um, point, Ash. Like, as all of us as leaders, when we are sitting at the table, you know, leave a chair open. And when you see someone come in that, you know, might be junior um, or might be not comfortable at the table, bring them, invite them in, have them take that seat and make sure that to your point, Ash, make certain that they're heard, like pull your chair back so that they can be seen or ask them specifically ask them their thoughts on on a particular um idea or some topic of discussion but you you raise a really valuable point it's all of us, uh, us leaders to be allies and advocates this podcast is sponsored by zelros zelros is an ai software solution for insurance to hyper personalize the customer buying experience with insurance recommendations across all channels, boosting client acquisitions, cross-sell and upsell. Thank you for tuning in to the InsureBreak podcast. Join us next month as we interview another insurance executive to gain insight on innovative practices, technology advancements, and what the future of the industry looks like. See you next month.